0: Welcome to a season of caring podcast where there's hope for living, loving, and caring with no regrets. This is Raina Nysis, your host. And today I'm honored to have Michelle Howe, our guest. Michelle is the author of 24 books for women and families. She's published over 3000 articles, reviews, and curriculum. Her most recent release is giving thanks for a perfectly imperfect life and deliver us finding comfort in times of desperation from the Psalms. Find out more about Michelle at michellehowe.com. Dot wordpress.com. Welcome. I'm so glad to have you today. It's so nice to be here. Well, I'd love for you to start off just sharing a little bit about your caregiving journey, because I know that you've had a couple of different seasons of being able to care for loved ones.
1: Well, our um, first experience was caring for an elderly relative slash neighbor. He was a single guy. His name was Bill. He never got married, didn't have any siblings, didn't have any children. He was like a a farmer and a hunter, a a fisherman, and he was very self-sufficient. But he took our four kids under his wing, and he was kind of like the third grandpa in our life. So he was very, very healthy until he turned 70, and then all of a sudden he had colon cancer. He had to have uh, open heart surgery, he had Parkinson's, he had diabetes, he had another cancer. So within a five year span between 70 and 75, he was in and out of the hospital so much. And then he would go to maybe a rehab center for a few weeks and then he'd come home. Well, we really were the only ones available to take care of him. He had a dog at the time. We took care of his property. You know, I I grocery shopped for him, got his medicines, took him to doctor's appointments, whatever. And we were really overwhelmed. And, And mainly I would say I was overwhelmed because we had four teenagers at the time. So we loved Bill and we would love to serve him. And my husband was over there a lot, almost daily caring for him and taking care of him. But then my husband is a teacher and a coach and he'd work long hours. So then it kind of fell on me. And I remember feeling... Overwhelmed by the amount of care that Bill needed during those seasons, off and on, and feeling like I don't know if I have it in me to do it given all my other responsibilities. Well, he died at 75 after a very small minor operation. It was really a surprise to us. And in the months that followed, my husband and I really talked about what we did right and what we did wrong in caring for Bill. And it's a good thing we had those conversations because. A few months later, my father-in-law was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, and within five months he died. So we had five months between diagnosis and when he passed away, and we had to care for him. And we learned so much the first time around that we were able to offer so much more care, so much more effectively, without it burning us out. Because we enlisted the help of agencies and a family and friends, we made sure that everything that we had done, I would say wrong the first time, we did it differently the second time. So my book is all about, you know, you may not do it right the first time because practice, you know, makes perfect or kind mm-hmm. of perfect. It, it takes experience. But boy, the Lord revealed to us A better way to do it. And, you know, our heart motives were in the right place, but we just were naive and we didn't have the experience. So that kind of just sums up my my caregiving experience.
0: Well, I love that you were able to look at it in that way, because I think it is so important, number one, to give ourselves the grace to say we're doing the best we can. Mm-hmm. because it is such a hard season. There is so much going on and oftentimes it comes suddenly. And mm-hmm. so we don't know how to clear off room in our life to be able to add this in. But at the same time saying, okay, we didn't do it all perfectly, but we we had good intentions and we did the best that we could at that time. And then of course learning, because I believe We're Just kind of in caregiving our whole lives, to be honest with you, we're either, we might be in a season, we're just coming out of it that we have a little bit of downtime, but there are always people in our lives that are going to need help. And especially as we age in our loved one's age. So I love that being able to just take that in and say, what did we do well? And what would we do different next Mm -hmm. time?
1: Well, and you make a good point because I think we all have to realize that we are always in a season of caregiving. You know, when we're young, it might be our children and then it becomes maybe our parents and then maybe it's our grandchildren. And then when we're all older, you're sharing those burdens of caregiving with your peers because you're all needing to support one another. And those illnesses and hard challenges, surgeries, loss of being able to be in your own home, it just becomes more and more frequent. So you're right. Mm -hmm. We're always in a season of caregiving. I think if we have the eyes
0: and the heart to see it. Yeah, definitely. And those of us that find ourselves in a caregiving season are usually the ones that have the eyes and the heart because there are others around that just don't seem to see it and right. don't realize the need and how much the need is there. And it seems like it's okay. God just created some of us to be able to see it more than others, I guess. Yes, yes. So as you were writing your book, how did your own perspective possibly change about towards the elderly?
1: Well, you know, I think it was really helpful for me first to go through that caregiving five-year period with our our neighbor, Bill. That that helped a lot. I mean, that was in the trenches type experience. And then with our father-in-law, it was so much easier. It was so much more delightful, if I can even use that word. We really learned how to enjoy and relish our conversations with him and our time with him because we were not exhausted day and night, right? But I interviewed a lot of men and women after the fact. And I think one of the eye-opening aspects to caregiving that I noticed was, what is more common than not is that you'll have one child, maybe out of the family, who steps up and does the caregiving. And then the other siblings don't see a need or don't want to. And there's a lot of potential strife between brothers and sisters and other extended family members, because let's say you and I doing most of the work and maybe we have siblings or cousins or whatever, and they do nothing. And you have to really work hard at not being resentful or having expectations of people who either will not help or don't follow through when they say they will help. I mean, there's a lot of heightened emotions during this time. And I remember really having to work through that when people would say they would be there and then they wouldn't. And then our elderly loved one was left alone and it was unsafe. So I mean, I thought that really surprised me how common that aspect was.
0: Relationships are always difficult. And so I often say caregiving just magnifies everything. It magnifies our our loved one's personality. If they were sweet and kind, they're often even sweeter and kinder. If they were ornery and not necessarily kind, they're often magnified in that as well. And those relationships, the strengths and the weaknesses in those relationships, I think just become really magnified. And so it does take a lot of intentional work to keep the family intact, to Mm -hmm. keep the relationship good or create a good relationship if you don't have one right it really
1: does it does and you know what helped us is to have supportive friends and to find friends who maybe were a little older than we were who had already walked down this road and then they were honest enough to share what they did right and what they did wrong so that we didn't have to make the same mistakes and i liken that into every area of life but if you can have a few friends that you trust and admire. And you ask them honestly, "Hey, what would you have done? What did you do? How can we avoid your pitfalls and your mistakes?" And if they share with you, boy, there is so much to be learned from people who
0: are just a few years ahead of you in life. That's amazing and such a great point. And I hope that's part of what our listeners gain from this podcast: is the opportunity to hear what other people have done, how it's gone for them, what would they do differently. You know, just all of those lessons because. We are all in this life together, and we might as well learn from each other instead of having everything learned through the hard knocks of life. That's a great point. Ask. People are willing to share. I think all of us want to be able to spare someone else from going through the difficult things that can be a part of caregiving as much as possible, because there are hard things that we can't avoid, so we might as well avoid the ones we can.
1: Right. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> That's great.
0: So, what specific negative habits do you hope people will cut out of their lives after they read through caring for our aging parents?
1: Well, you know, I, I think there's two things. And one is unrealistic expectations. Mm-hmm. And you commented on it already. You know, not everyone has a good, healthy relationship with their elderly loved one. They may not. It, and it doesn't even matter who's at fault, it, mm-hmm. it just may not be there. So, If you have always had a strained relationship with your mom and dad, don't expect it to suddenly become a fairy tale of caregiving and that they notice all the wonderful things you're doing for them. Mm -hmm. If their personality has never been that before, don't start expecting it now. And I think you really have to, again, have your own support system through trusted friends, other trusted maybe Family members who understand the dynamics and who can speak encouragement and truth into your life, and to say, you know, keep on doing the right thing, keep overcoming evil with good, but don't expect to get a thank you for it. Don't expect to get a pat on the back because you may never get it. Do it as unto the Lord. So that would be the first thing. And the other thing is don't try to be a hero on your own. And that's a phrase my husband has adopted because he'll say, you try to do everything on your own. And I'll say, well, all my friends are busy. Everybody's busy. I don't want to add to their burden. And he said, any one of your friends would be willing to help you because you'd be willing to help them. And I think mm-hmm. that is the one of the biggest, best lessons we learned. The first time around, my husband and I tried to do everything we could for Bill. We didn't invite anyone into our circle to help because it wasn't easy for anybody. So when the second time around, we realized, man, we were making calls. We had family meetings. We were enlisting agencies. I mean, we understood the value of support. So that's one thing. Don't try to do it alone. Because as you said earlier, sometimes caregiving can go from maybe a couple hours twice a week to full time. And all of a sudden you're in this situation that you Are incapable of handling on your own. So it's wise and prudent to set up and to do your homework ahead of time before you need it and find out what your county offers for the elderly so that you don't have to clean maybe all the time. Maybe, or Meals on Wheels comes in every day at four o'clock. You don't have to have a dinner for your elderly person. And that way it frees you up to give them emotional, mental support in another way that they might treasure more.
0: That's beautiful. I love that because expectations, they are tricky. They're always tricky. Yes. And being able to realize this is an expectation, this isn't a foregone conclusion, can yes. really help to free yourself up. What am I expecting? Is it realistic? Is it not realistic? And just being more aware of those expectations sure. in relationships, in everything of yourself. So many times as caregivers, we have really high expectations of ourselves. Yeah. that are often unrealistic. Yes. Yes. You know,
1: and I think too, sometimes when I've interviewed men and women, they've realized and admitted after their parents have passed away that they saw major flaws in their parents' personalities or mm-hmm. the ways that they approach life. And they were hoping that they could help them correct those things before they died Mm-hmm. And they didn't, because frankly, those particular parents didn't want to change. Mm-hmm. They didn't see anything wrong with the way they were living or that it was unhealthy or unhelpful. And then my friends had to grieve that, that they weren't able to help their parents through. But really, it's each person. It's it's my decision to want to change. It's your decision to want to do the hard work of change. And as much as we care and serve and pray for other people... We can't make somebody make good choices. We can't. And I think there's a freedom in letting go of that
0: expectation as well. For sure. In all relationships. I mean, it kind of reminded me of oftentimes young people marry somebody thinking they're going to change them, right? And the same thing is true. You know, throughout life, we want to change people. But the truth is, it's not coming from us. We're not the ones who can bring the change. All we can do is bring the love and be able to support them as they're if they are wanting to change, be able to help them see how they can do that. And then just bringing in the team. I think that's so important. We say that over and over again on this podcast don't do it alone. There's no reason to do it alone. There are resources. There are people out there to help and support. So invite them. And that's kind of the term that I always use is throw out the invitation, invite that friend to help, invite them, give them opportunities. Not everybody's going to step into that opportunity and be willing to support and help, but there are plenty out there that will when you ask. Right. Right. That's so wise. Thank you. When you look at your caregiving experience, you know, there'll be another one coming. So what might you need to do differently from the last one? You know, that is a great question. And I think the thing
1: that I would probably do differently is I would spend more time, I think, in Mm self-care. I think I would, I tend to be somebody who goes a hundred miles an hour until I am exhausted. Mm. And I think that I would temper immediately my commitment. I would talk to the other people that could help me right away because I am getting older too. And my energy level that I had 15 years ago is not what it is today. So I would be, think I'd be more realistic about my own limitations and hopefully accept them gracefully that I'm aging as well. So I would be more likely and hopefully would remember this conversation (laughs) that I would say, okay, I reasonably can do this, this, and this. And that's where I'm going to put the boundary on it. We'll have to find other people or other organizations to step in and do the rest. And I already am kind of thinking along those lines because my parents are 82 now and they're healthy, but there's going to be a day when they're going to need more help. Mm -hmm. And it is wise to look to the future, not worry about the future, but realize, okay, I'm going to be in that situation again. What do I want to avoid from the time before? And what can I do better this next time around?
0: I think the doing, uh, as people, we are always focused on the doing. There's so much to do. We're doing and doing and doing. We forget about the being. Yes. And the being is what feeds the relationship. And so being able to find that balance of I can do these things, but I also need to be here to develop this relationship, support and like you said, emotional, spiritual, physical needs. All of those things need to be done. So it's wise to be looking at what makes sense.
1: Mm -hmm. And I have a, a story in the book about one woman who had parents that she was caring for and She met all their physical needs. I mean, she'd go over every night after work and she was a single mom, so she didn't have a supportive spouse to help her either, but she would do all these things to care for her parents, make sure their house was clean, that they had groceries. She would take them to the doctor's appointments, but the parents didn't feel that was enough. They wanted her to be their social event
0: coordinator Mm
1: -hmm. too. They wanted to go to movies with her and out to dinner with her and to the theater but she was wise enough to say, I can only do this, this, and this. You're going to have to find another way or another person to help. You had to choose. And it was a hard conversation. But she did it. I mean, because she knew herself well enough that she was going to start resenting her parents and already was starting to resent them. Because, yes, they, they had a good relationship, but I don't think her elderly parents were remembering rightly how busy they were in their own fifties. You know, mm-hmm. it's easy to forget how hectic and how hard people work when they're younger, just keeping their family going financially, keeping everything above. And I'm just like, oh, that was such a good lesson because she realized she couldn't do everything. And so she talked to them about it and And they may not have liked it right away, but they realized the truth in it.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. The communications, what's so important is being self aware enough to know where your limits are and what you can do, what you can't do. And then being able to have the conversation and possibly help problem solve. What if we ask, or don't you remember your friend such and such? Maybe they would like to go to the movie, you know, instigate yes. some of that, bringing other people in because I right. think our parents are focused on us because we're family and they've taken care of us and we're the most important thing in their world. And Mm -hmm. so they expect us to meet all of those needs when actually helping them to broaden and think about who else is available to do those things with can be really helpful. But it is that conversation. And so many times we avoid those things, but just being able to approach it and say, I love you. I want to support you. Mm -hmm. Let's see who we could figure out could do this. Right. That's great. Yeah. So in the book, I love the different interviews with the people. What kinds of takeaways do you think that our audience will pick up from reading the book?
1: Well, I think maybe one of the best and most important takeaways is that you're not alone. That I think you you have a whole community of people who are going through exactly the same challenges and difficulties and heartbreaks and even suffering if i want to say suffering that you're going through in grief mm-hmm. that you're experiencing off and on with your elderly relatives and you're not alone sometimes we as americans try to be independent solo you know whatever we do we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we try to figure it out when there are so many people around you if you just have a conversation with somebody else you'll find out oh Me too. I was there. I went through that. This is what I did. And, you know, or just maybe give you a hug, whatever. It doesn't have to be advice, but to tell you, hey, I'm praying for you and inviting other people into your struggle and maybe not to serve your parents or serve your elderly relatives. But like you said, they can pray for you. They can maybe meet you for coffee. I mean, just another voice in your world that isn't a caregiving voice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that book just it really encourages men and women that you're not alone. You don't have to be alone, but you are going to have to be proactive and not wait for people to see what you're feeling. Because oftentimes I think we think, well, why don't people talk to me about this? Well, they don't know unless you communicate with them. My neighbor doesn't know what I'm going through unless I tell him, Mm -hmm. you know You have to communicate and be proactive in that respect
0: so important again for our listeners, we say it frequently to you, you're not alone. There are so many people out there in the same Mm -hmm. boat. And there's so many professionals out there wanting to support you. So take advantage of those things. And resources like Michelle's book will definitely help you to not only learn from other people who have journeyed before you, but be encouraged that you're not the only one. You're really not alone. Well, Michelle, tell us about your most recent book you've just released. Uh, The newest
1: book that just came out, and I giving thanks for my uh, perfectly imperfect life, which if we're honest, doesn't that describe all of our lives? Mm -hmm. But this new book is probably got more of my own personal story in it than any other book because I tell others I'm a recovering perfectionist, Mm -hmm. always wanting to see the world through a certain lens and trying to correct and help reorder things or shift things so that they are right and correct. And that is just certainly not the way Jesus wants us to live. So it's my story about how day by day he has helped me to be set free from the inside out, from control and trying to manipulate circumstances so that I feel like I'm in control, which none of our us are in control anyway, but we like to believe that. And I interview a lot of men and women as well. Every aspect of life where perfectionism is just unhealthy it's not a good way to live and how the way of the cross and Jesus and of the faith-based message he gives us is in him, we can be free. So that is a book about being set free from the inside out. And I'm very excited about it. I need to read it myself again because sometimes you don't take your own advice, right? <laughs> you reminded. reminded.
0: So Some lessons are just harder to learn. We oh, seem to be are. forgetful people, don't we? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Well, it sounds like I would imagine most of our listeners could relate to that as well, because I think many of us that are caregivers are wanting to do things perfectly. Yes. And so learning to embrace that that's really not um, the ideal can yeah. make a difference. It absolutely. makes us move a little bit more from the doing to the being again. Which, yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah
0: can be so helpful when you're in that season of really wanting to focus on the ones that you love so that when they're not here anymore, there's memories that you can cherish and opportunities Mm -hmm. to really reminisce about who that person was and that relationship you had versus all the things that you had to do. Yes, absolutely. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. And I've just really enjoyed our conversation. Listeners, remember that you can find out more about Michelle and all of her different books. At michellehow.wordpress.com. You'll definitely want to check those out and I will share a link in our show notes. So thanks again for joining us listeners. And just a reminder, a Season of Caring podcast is created for the encouragement of family caregivers. If you have medical, financial, and legal questions, please consult your local professional and take part in your Season of Caring.